0: everybody. Happy Monday. I hope you had a great weekend. Here's what I'm guessing. You spent the whole weekend uh, getting, like, holiday presents and everything organized or travel plans because this is it. This is your last week before the big show, right? Uh, But tonight, this is the big show. Um, I did that same thing all weekend and yet uh, had my eye on a case all weekend. And sure, as you would know, there was a big change today in the Idaho 4 story, uh, the, the murders of the students at the University of Idaho. Something. Well, Listen, we're only 10 days away from the wrecking ball that is going to take this house down. That is a huge bone of contention between a lot of people who follow the case, and they may not matter as much clearly to the process as those involved in the case, but then those involved in the case also have differing opinions about what should happen to that massive piece of evidence. So with 10 days to go until it is to be torn down... Um, Something else happened today, and we now have information on Brian Koberger's latest effort to get the charges against him thrown out. He's the only suspect in this horrific quadruple murder. And as the camera zeroes in, you've got to wonder what he and that attorney next to him are thinking. Is it a spaghetti at the fridge and hope and see what will stick? Because a couple of pieces of spaghetti just sort of folded and then slithered off the fridge. That whole business about throw the charges out because the grand jury process wasn't fair. That was decided. Wait in just a moment. You're going to find out what the decision was and how the prosecutor still said very clever, as the judge said, very clever argument. The lady in the blonde hair, she knows what she's doing. But did it work? Because there's a lot of pieces of spaghetti that would need to fall off the fridge. Uh, You know, and so far they're coming down pretty quick. There's something else that that we learned today. And I I never expected the confluence of these two stories, the the massive Casey Anthony story that I followed back in the early aughts and then this massive crime story that's happening now in, in 2023 and 2024, perhaps. Maybe that's when we'll have the trial. And that is Casey Anthony's defense attorney. Very successful, very, very good at what he does. Cheney Mason weighed in on this debate of whether that house should come down. I did not expect him to be as passionate about the answer that he gave me. But holy dinah, he had something to say that sort of set me on my heels. And if the prosecutors and the defense are listening, they may think twice as well. You're going to hear uh, what he has to say about that in just a moment. And then if you were following the, uh, the big celebrity Jonathan Majors, Marvel. uh, Big star, right? But in court all of last week, um, accused by his ex-girlfriend of beating her up in the back of a vehicle. They got into a fight. There was a lot of evidence. A lot of evidence pointed to her fighting as well, a lot of evidence that they had texted back and forth in the past about not telling doctors about injuries that she'd received from him because, wow, would that destroy things, right? In the end, those text messages may have played a part in what happened to him in court because the gavel came down and it was guilty. But here is my question. He was not found guilty of the most serious charges and yet the punishment that will be meted out on him, forget the judge, forget the sentencing, forget all that for a hot minute. The punishment that's gonna be meted out on him by just Hollywood, is it fair? Is it fair that big celebrities with so much further to fall and so much more to lose, end up getting like 10x the punishment of regular Joe. We'll discuss that in a moment. You're also going to find out what he was found guilty of and what he's facing. And then, uh, you remember that old expression, it almost feels like a hillbilly should be yelling, there's gold in them are hills, right? You've heard that. Well, like it's really weird, but somehow some people actually are lured by the possibility of buried gold treasure. Uh, Yes, I'm with you. How? (laughs) Like, it's 2023, almost 2024. But as it turns out, in Seattle, prosecutors there think they actually have a serial killer on their hands. And the reason they think there's a serial killer on their hands is because they arrested this guy. And they accused him of luring a woman to her death by promising her buried treasure filled with gold. And as they began to look at all these other cases around this Seattle area, they discovered, like, a whole bunch of other victims, lured by the prospect of buried treasure full of gold. And so now, they've changed the charges against this guy. You'll find out all about it, who were these people, what kind of promise, how did this happen, all that coming up next. But let's start here. It is, it's is—it's really hard to believe that Christmas is just a week from tonight. It is supposed to be a super joyous time where I hustle and bustle, and that usually makes things pretty hectic, and, and most people feel a little bit stressed out about now, especially after the weekend we just had. But there is another date, apart from Christmas Day, that is stressing out a lot of people, too. And that's December 28th, three days after Christmas, the day that 1122 King Road in Moscow, Idaho, is scheduled to be torn down. That is, of course, the house where the four college kids were murdered just over uh, almost a year ago. Well, just over a year ago. Yeah, we're coming up on the anniversary of the arrest. Uh, When the demolition was actually announced last week by the property's current owner, which is the University of Idaho, most of the people we talked to were just dead set against it, including the parents of many of the victims. There are four victims. Three quarters of them feel that way. Family of Kaylee Gonzalez, Xana Cronodle, and Maddie Mogan, too. They all together released a joint statement questioning why the house was being torn down before the trial even starts, before there's even a trial date announced. It's a sentiment echoed by Kaylee's father, Steve, when he appeared on this program on Friday.
1: We're at a moment in the
2: case that we don't even have a trial date, you know. We've had a trial date for almost the vast majority once they had a suspect. So we don't have a trial date, but we have a date to have, you know, largely the biggest piece of evidence being destroyed, which just seems backwards, you know.
0: Not all victims' family members are against the demolition, however. Ethan Chapin also died in that house and his mother, Stacy Chapin, gave me this statement exclusively to News Nation. We're supportive of the decision to take down the King Street house for the good of the university, its students, including our own kids and the community of Moscow. Ethan was a triplet and his two siblings, Macy and Hunter, still attend the University of Idaho. But Ethan's mom is in the minority among those families and now a famous attorney who successfully defended another very high-profile case, Casey Anthony. He sent me this exclusive statement about why he thinks it's imperative that the House stay up until after the trial is over. Cheney Mason says this about the Idaho case. Quote, I think when the crime scene is destroyed, you have no way of knowing whether or not you are also... evidence it may very well and frequently does deny due process to the defense and can result in dismissal of charges if it's destroyed it gives the defense something to argue that they otherwise wouldn't have had so bottom line I think it's reckless and stupid to destroy the crime scene until after the trial is over and the appeal is finished since Koberger's case is a death penalty case I'll remind you those appeals could go on for decades and would at the very least last five years, maybe 10 years. A Change.org petition has also been started by a true crime podcaster asking that the House remain standing until after the trial. Look, a Change.org petition is one thing, right? Those people aren't involved, but it does have more than 1,400 signatures at that point. And one of the signatures is an important one. It's Zana Karnodal's mother, Kara Worthington she commented on the petition and she said this my daughter was murdered in that house and there is no way that they should be destroying any evidence as if to underscore the importance of this argument Brian Kohlberger's own team spent two days in that house just last week they were there taking photographs and measurements again no trial date has yet been established but we do have a date for that house to be torn down. Koberger's the only suspect in the case. He's locked up in the Moscow County Jail since his arrest a year ago next Saturday. That'll be the anniversary of his arrest. But barring some unexpected guilty plea from Brian Koberger, don't hold your breath, there will be a trial. And we have news there, too. A judge in this case, uh, unusually, his name is John Judge, so Judge Judge, uh, he has finally ruled on two of Koberger's attempts to have the charges against him tossed out. And for more on that, I want to bring in News Nation's senior national correspondent, Brian Enton, who... Listen, there isn't another person who knows more about this case than, uh, than Brian. So, uh, Brian, the dismissal, the request for dismissal... I mean, we're all kind of holding our breath in a weird way, because it, it seemed like a real long shot. It seemed like the spaghetti that was most likely to fall off the fridge. But what was the story there? What did, what did um, the defense team for Brian Koberger say about the grand jury process, and why did they think it was unfair?
1: Yeah, they were claiming a few things. They claimed that the uh, the grand jury was given the wrong jury instructions when it comes to, uh, to probable cause and beyond a reasonable doubt. They also claimed that there may have been biased jurors, that uh, improper evidence may uh, have been presented. It was a very, very long brief that they filed. And I was in Moscow uh, when they argued this in front of the judge. And you could tell... During the court hearing, Ashley, um, that the judge wasn't really buying it, Um, saying, look, it's a a smart argument, um, but you could just tell. The facial expressions, I had a feeling he was going to deny it, and that's exactly what happened. The decision came down today. We were able to get the ruling, uh, and he has denied it. So they will not be throwing out... The grand jury indictment, not a big surprise there. It just means that, that things continue to move forward, um, but still no trial date. There's not even another date right now uh, set for the next hearing, which I know is very, very frustrating uh, for some of the victims' families.
0: And, you know, this case is being followed by millions of people. This is just one of those cases that has, you know, got the true crime community completely wrapped. And even those who weren't in the true crime community. Many of them ask me the question all the time. I'm sure same for you, Brian. When is this going to happen? When is this trial going to happen? So because of that, a lot of people feel like they have the right to weigh in. And many people have actually been emailing the university president about this.
1: They have, um, and they're posting the emails on social media. I was reading through some of them today. They've been signing the change.org petition that you spoke about. I think it's up to uh, about 1,600 signatures now, and it's it's growing every hour. And then they've also been emailing the university president because ultimately it was him who made the decision, and he's been emailing some of them back. They've been posting the emails where uh, he's essentially writing them back with, with basically the same press release that he sent out to us uh, last week saying um, that, that the house is, is a grim reminder to the students and to the community um, and that it's, it's time for it to come down.
0: Any chance, just five seconds here, but any chance you see that uh, we're going to get the yo-yo effect again? That We've been through this rodeo three times now and then suddenly it was paused. What about this time?
1: I don't think so, Ashley. That's not my sense. The other times, um, they never gave a specific date. They never had a specific plan. They've named the contractor. There's a media staging area. I mean, they've got a very detailed plan for the 28th. We haven't seen that before, so it seems like their mind is made up for good this time.
0: It, it seems. It feels different to me, too. I mean, certainly they've never gone to any of these lengths before. P.S. All the kids are home, so it's, um, if you're going to do it, this is the window. So, Brian Anton, yeah. thank you for that. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ash. I want to bring in Mark Garagos now. He is a criminal defense attorney and the co-host of the Reasonable Doubt podcast with Adam Carolla. So, Mark Garagos, your reaction to this, this concept, like hearing Cheney Mason um, saying, don't do it, just don't, don't, don't tear the house down, uh, was pretty big for me. You know, to hear a, a, a criminal defense attorney of that ilk who has defended something that high profile Uh, saying don't tear this house down seemed like a big deal. I want to get your take.
3: hes uh, I think Cheney also, who I have a great deal of respect for, uh, is retired. Is he not, uh, Ashley? Because I will tell you that uh, most defense lawyers would probably not view or voice their uh, opinion on this because I will tell you a secret. The last thing that the defense wants is this house to be standing, because once that house is torn down, all bets are off in terms of the prosecution. You never know, having tried scores of murder cases myself, you never know what's gonna happen with a murder case. You just never, you've watched them, Ashley. Inevitably, something happens in the trial that nobody was expecting, either the prosecution or the defense one of the things that you usually have is the ability to test that against a crime scene. You're able to go out, you're able to do some further investigation. How many times I've made the argument to somebody that you can't now bring in this new piece of evidence in the middle of the trial. and uh, I've heard the judge say, Mr. Garragas, it's an ongoing investigation. Nothing stops that. Well, this stops that. You are not going to be able, the prosecution is going to hamstring themselves to exactly what their theory is. And I think, frankly, that could be a, a, a very, very significant mistake. I don't understand why the prosecution wants to do it. Mind you, I completely understand if I'm sitting. I understand why the, the university wants to. I get that. I understand yeah, why I get that. the parents are divided over it. I get that also. I don't understand why the prosecution would allow this. I, it, to me, it makes absolutely no sense, and I, I think that they are going to. I make a bold prediction that they are going to have grave regrets about that because I think, like I said, something will transpire during the course of this trial where they wish they had that crime scene intact.
0: Do you? Do you see it? Because the, the one thing that that Cheney Mason mentioned that that sort of caught me off guard, because I guess I hadn't thought about it, was the appellate issues that could be raised by the defense if there's a conviction and a big piece of evidence is is now, uh, you know, missing. Do you see these appellate issues? Can you sort of prognosticate what they might be able to think through? I can, ab-
3: I can absolutely. That's why I said Cheney's retired, because I hate to kind of prognosticate, but I can think of three or four different examples of something that, without engaging in rank speculation, just something that could occur that the defense brings up in the middle of trial, that there could be an alternate suspect, there could be somebody else who was potentially a witness, there could be somebody who testifies differently at the trial than what their statement is to the police. You've got memorialized police statements, but inevitably at trial, they don't track. And if you want to test that, or you want to say, no, this couldn't be, for instance, they couldn't see from this particular angle because of this, and all you're left with in are various camera angles or photos or videos that don't exactly capture that, That's a tremendous problem also for the defense, and the defense will raise that. The defense will say, we were foreclosed. We were not able to then go out and test this new theory. By the way, the prosecution never gave us this heads up. Mm -hmm. They've now introduced this piece of evidence during the trial. How are we supposed to test it? That could be an appellate issue. The prosecution... This, at the same time, is going to say something along the lines of, judge, it's an ongoing investigation. Of course we can bring this in, this piece of evidence you in, know, and the defense will object and say, no, you can't, because we can't test
0: it. Because we can't test it. When Cheney Mason said that the House should stay standing, not just through the end of the trial, but through the end of all appeals on a death penalty case, I mean, I'm I, I, when I moved to the United States and became, you know, a landed immigrant here, it was 28 years ago and I covered a case in Texas of Darlie Routier. It was a death penalty case. She's still sitting on death row almost three decades later. So I, it gave me a bit of a shudder to think that the poor university and the students would have to look at this horrible eyesore for decades upon decades in a death penalty case that could have that many appeals.
3: Well, the problem with that argument is, and the reason I don't think that that would ever stand up is, that you've then gone, a trial presumes either an acquittal and a conviction. An appeal presumes a conviction. If you've been convicted and if you're up on appeal and if you have not raised the particular issue, Um, with the House standing at that point. You're going to be hard-pressed to get anybody to say, you got to keep that House intact during all of the appeals. So I'm not so sure I would go as far as Cheney. I will tell you that until the trial is concluded and there is a sentencing and a notice of appeal and the trial court, once it gets to the Court of Appeal, is divested of jurisdiction, I don't think the House should be destroyed until that point of time. I get that there's no trial date, but I just see terrible from all from the prosecution, not necessarily from the defense.
0: Well, I, that's how I feel, too. Uh, listen, I, I, well, and, but Cheney also says from the defense standpoint, too, there might be something missing that could certainly help him as well. But can I get a five-second answer on this one? And that is, I, I don't know that this, this might sound like a very dumb question, but is there any kind of like amicus brief or anything that any prosecutors in Idaho could submit to try to change the prosecution's mind? Or if the defense and the prosecution and the judge, all three are in a triumvirate of agreement, that's it. It's done.
3: Well, actually, somebody could intervene with the uh, with the owner of the property, the university, if, if they're the owners. Somebody could try to intervene there. I'm surprised, actually, um, that the the victims haven't waited. It would be. Uh, well, they they have arguably well, they have. standing They've there. done everything. Well, they yeah. haven't waited. The, the victims. They haven't, families. Waited. They haven't waited legally legally they've got a right to weigh in under I'll most jurisdictions it. yeah
0: watch this space you know steve gonzalves has a great lawyer in shannon gray and um three of the families sort of speak under that one umbrella uh, so who knows maybe that's the next shoe to drop but mark aragos always great to talk to you thanks so much. it's why it's called reasonable doubt your podcast because you always raise that and it's so smart thank you
3: thank you ashley
0: still to come on this program there is no drama like courtroom drama and no courtroom drama like verdict drama and we saw it again today in the jonathan majors domestic violence trial and even though he hasn't yet been sentenced for this crime hollywood isn't waiting to swing the axe how much is he about to lose oof that's next one-time rising movie star Jonathan Majors and it is this he is not rising anymore Uh, the word star might not apply much longer to him either because the Manhattan jury today found him guilty of reckless assault in the third degree and they also found him guilty of a a non-criminal charge of harassment both of the charges stem from that argument he had with then-girlfriend Grace Jabari that was in the back of an SUV and spilled out under the streets it all happened back in March of this year And among the evidence was surveillance video of the girlfriend chasing Majors, the boyfriend, for blocks and blocks and blocks. And the girlfriend's own testimony, claiming that Majors had twisted her arm behind her back and squeezed her finger until her finger broke. After she grabbed at his phone, she saw a text come in from someone she didn't want it to come in from. Majors was acquitted of a separate sexual or a separate assault charge, serious one. And one count of aggravated harassment, too. And his attorneys actually looked at that and said, that's not bad. That's actually a win. They spun that. And the way they did, they said this. It is clear that the jury did not believe Grace Jabari's story of what happened in the SUV because they found that Mr. Majors did not intentionally cause any injuries to her. And we are grateful for that. The sentencing is not scheduled until February, but almost immediately after the verdict came down, Marvel and Disney both dropped Mr. Majors from upcoming projects. And they were huge, like massive, like entire career projects. Joining me now is Stacey Honowitz, an assistant state attorney in the great state of Florida. Stacy, this is a crazy question. I don't think I've ever asked this one before because it's kind of rare. Um, he's about to lose his entire livelihood. Like, he was gonna be a huge star in the upcoming Marvel movies, and that's all gone. And maybe he'll never get hired again. Did judges take into account the amount of punishment that the public and business and commerce is gonna meet on a guy like this before they decide how much freedom they should take from him behind bars?
2: Well, judges can take a myriad of factors into consideration. And certainly his lawyers are going to argue Judge, look what has gone on. Not only is he going to be punished now in criminal court, but his livelihood is gone. He's lost everything. He's been dropped. So they can make that argument. And whether a judge decides to take that in consideration, he can. But certainly he's going to hear from the victim. He sat through all the evidence. He saw the photographs. He saw the videotape. He heard the text messages. So again, actually, yes, a judge can take that into consideration because the lawyers are going to argue it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I keep coming back to when a big celebrity or someone big and powerful, you know, takes a hit like this, an average guy might go away for a period of time. What, what is the sentence on this one, Stacey? Is it up to a year or something, I think, in uh, behind bars in yeah, jail, no, county jail?
2: Yeah, they're both, they're a misdemeanor. It's a misdemeanor count, so it's up to a year in jail.
0: Okay. Right. So up to a year. So the average guy could do that and, and could probably still get out and prosecute his lifestyle once again. Might have a little ramp up to get back to where he was. Uh, but this guy never will. It's like a death sentence for him. And to that extent, I wanted to ask you about the. Evidence in this case because on Friday, I thought there's not a chance they'll find him guilty. Once they played the video of her chasing him down the street, he's running away, he's trying to get away from the woman he's supposedly accused of assaulting. Um, I thought the jury's going to look at that and say there's enough reasonable doubt. I don't know what happened in the back of the car. Maybe he did something to her, maybe she did something to him. I see her chasing him. But it sounds to me that they didn't find reasonable doubt here. And look at this video. Are you surprised at this?
2: I think juries are, are very finicky. You know that. I mean, some there might have been an argument in the back in that jury room saying, listen, he's claiming that she's the aggressor. And we can see by this evidence that she is following him. She is chasing him. That doesn't go to what actually happened in the back of that SUV. And actually, I think it's really important that, that the viewers know that so much evidence came out, not only about this. But the defense opened the door and they let all of the other incidents come in. And so the jurors had a firsthand look at something that happened prior to this. And I'm sure they took that into consideration because the prosecution tried to get it in in the very beginning. And for people that don't know, this was an incident that happened before the the, uh, March D. The The judge kept it out. The judge said it's too prejudicial. In the trial, the defense asked a question which opened the door. And what that means is you've now brought it to the attention of the jurors. What you wanted to keep out now it has to come in. You've opened it and we're going to let the prosecution walk through that door. And in through that door came a ton of evidence, a ton of text messages, which I think showed the jury that this guy was manipulative. He battered her in the past. He tried to get her to mm. recant. And that's what we were faced with in this trial. Can- so this is, a,
0: this is a yes or no question because I literally have less than five seconds left. Uh, is there you know, a shot at Jonathan me, Major me. saying, <laughs> 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 no, does he have a shot at ineffective assistance of counsel? Could he say because of that mess up that my attorneys did and let all that stuff in, and that's probably what convicted me, ineffective assistance of counsel, I want another shot. Real quick.
2: He certainly can make that argument. Let's put it that way. He can make that argument on the That's interesting.
0: Stacy, I always love you. Will you come back again? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Stacey Honowitz. Uh, Can't hear her enough. I adore her. All right, we'll see you again, Stacey. Uh, Coming up, the mom influencer who told millions of other parents how to raise their kids now admits that she abused her own, and it is worse than we thought. Ruby Frankie comes clean and admits to what she's done. But how could a judge go easy on her? With all the brand new examples of horrendous abuse that we just learned today, you're going to learn it next.
4: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
0: One thing I've come to realize in my many, many years um, of doing this job is that you can call yourself an expert or nowadays an influencer um, without actually having any real idea of what you're doing. You can tell people how to do or think or say almost anything. And you can make bank even if you just make it all up, as you go along. Uh, What you can't do, even in these cynical times, is dole out family advice like it's ice cream, while at the same time brutalizing your own kids. I suppose you you can (laughs) until you get caught. And Ruby Frankie got caught. And today, the once popular YouTubing parenting influencer pleaded guilty to abusing and starving two of her own children. Listen.
5: Count five, aggravated child abuse, a second-degree felony. Guilty. And to count six, aggravated child abuse, a second-degree felony.
6: With my deepest regret and sorrow for my family and my children, guilty.
0: Uh, Frankie was arrested back in August alongside that other lady right there, her business partner, Ruby Frankie's business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. And that happened after Ruby's 12-year-old son escaped from Hildebrand's house. That's in Utah. That son ran to a neighbor, he was emaciated, he had open wounds, he had duct tape on his wrists and ankles. It was a gut-wrenching sight that brought a grown man next door to tears. And even then, we had no idea how bad this abuse really was until Ruby today admitted to more of it with details, like stark details. She had to do it. It was her plea agreement. So she revealed to the court today that that same 12-year-old son who ran for his freedom was, quote, forced to do outside labor without shoes in the heat, was forced to stand in the direct sunlight for several days, which resulted in repeated and serious sunburns with blistered and sloughing skin. The court document goes on to say this. He was denied adequate water for several of the days that he was required to remain in the summer heat and then was punished when he secretly consumed water. Not only that, his mother admits to kicking him while wearing boots, to holding his head under water, and to cutting off oxygen by placing her her hands over his mouth and nose, all while telling him he was evil and possessed and there were punishments here um, that were penance. Ruby Frankie admits to putting her nine-year-old daughter through the very same horrific abuse that she did her older brother. Four counts of aggravated child abuse in all. It was six. But, you know, you get a plea deal, you get to drop two. And far from taking full responsibility for what she did, like a full responsibility, instead her lawyers claim that it's all her her partner and co-defendant's fault. It's all Jody Hildebrandt's fault. They claim in Hildebrandt's role as a, quote, relationship counselor, she gave Frankie a distorted sense of morality. Did she now? I want to play you some of the supposed undistorted morality that Ruby Frankie aired on her now defunct YouTube channel.
6: I'm Only gonna say it one more time and then you're going to lose the privilege to eat dinner. If you cut one more thing in my house, <laughs> I'm going to take the scissors. Look at me. And I'm going to cut its head off. God, I'm be
7: so mad!
6: She actually told me she did pack a lunch. So the natural outcome is she's just going to need to be hungry. And hopefully, hopefully nobody gives her food and nobody steps in and gives her a lunch. If you have something in the bag that you would like out, you can pay cash for it. So you learn the value of your items, or um, you can give what? Dad, I'll let you take the conversation Um, from here.
5: You can do an equivalent value chore.
6: My bedroom was taken away for seven months and then you gave it back like a couple weeks ago. I don't think our viewers know that. <laughs> 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 uh, I, you have be been on a beanbag. sleep on a beanbag in October. And they gave my room back like two weeks ago. You get your socks picked up and don't you leave your stuff out anymore.
2: Oh. Oh. Right over there.
6: Run and go pick them up. And then give me ten push-ups. Oh. Put them in your pocket so you can take them down to the hamper and drop and give me ten. One. Put your hands straight out. They're in. They're not supposed to be out. Shape your hands forward. There you go. One, two, down further. Bring your butt down.
5: And and some of these parenting-isms, these cultural-isms that have have contaminated parenting are are things like um, beliefs that it's my job. To make my kids happy. Give them a magical childhood. And it's my job to give my child a magical childhood. It's my job to make my children smile. It's it's my job to make my children successful.
6: And my kids are literally starving. I hesitate to say this because it's going to sound like I'm like a mean barbarian. But I told the kids, I said, I'm not even going to let you eat
0: breakfast until you get your chores done. Ha 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 ha. Uh, Ruby Frankie's husband, seen here smiling, seen here beside her. He has not been charged with anything yet. I don't know if he will be, but he has since filed for divorce. Probably a good, smart move. I want to bring in someone who knows a lot about this case. Lauren Mathias was a reporter in southern Utah for two years. She knows the area well, the people there well. She now hosts the very popular Hidden True Crime podcast. So all of this is so, I mean, look, Say what you will about some of her uh, videos, like some people would say, well, that's not, that's not physical abuse, I don't understand. But then when we found this stuff out today, when we heard that she was actually drowning her children, putting her hands over their nose and mouth to cut off their oxygen, burning them in the sun. I mean, there were some other examples of putting like cayenne pepper and honey on wounds. I mean, sickening stuff. I'm just trying to figure out how on earth a plea deal can even help her. Like, what kind of a sentence she could actually get, even p- giving a plea deal.
7: Yeah, I don't know how much it's going to help her either. At this point, she could, she now faces up to 60 years, 15 years maximum for each of the four counts. And so her sentencing on February 20th uh, could very well see her give her 60 years. So I don't know how much it is going to help at this time. It might help. That her children don't have to testify, and I don't know if that's in her, it's definitely in her children's benefit, I would think, but is it in her benefit too? You know, I don't know who that's helping, but her children will, you know, now not be, have, be needing to testify, which might be another thing she's thinking when it comes to this plea.
0: One of the things... Lauren, I watched as she was saying the words guilty over and over. She, she looked like she was pained. It was just killing her in the courtroom to say this. And then it was added, you know, well, you know, I was under the influence of that other lady, my business partner. So, you know, not really me. And that's the kind of thing I think judges don't like hearing. If you're going to plead and take responsibility for what you do, you take responsibility for what you do. You don't blame your guru. I completely agree.
7: It's going to be really interesting also now to see what Jody Hildebrandt her her guru does because now she is saying that I'm going to throw my guru under the bus. And you you're right. They also her attorney stated that they she has reset her moral compass. I don't know how one resets Oh, goody. Her moral compass. Great. But yeah, exactly, right? When it comes to your children and the abuse we heard that she made them suffer. We also learned that Russell, excuse me, that one of the victims did not, uh, was it wasn't the first time he attempted to escape. We learned that. And that that first oh. time he attempted to escape, they put handcuffs on both of his wrists and his ankles and then tied those with ropes so that his hands, that he was on his stomach and his hands and his legs were off the floor. And then when it dug into his I tissue and muscles, she's- they put band-aids or they put duct tape on it again. Did you, am I here again? Did
0: Um, we lose me? Surprised if she gets the max, which is, as Lauren mentioned, sorry. We can pop Lauren's signal down because she's frozen. I think, I don't know if, you know what, I think my signal's frozen. That might be the problem here. Um, In any case, um, 60 years, like Lauren said, 60 years could be the maximum. My thanks to Lauren Mathias of the Hidden True Crime podcast. Coming up next, a stranger tells you that he needs some help to dig up some buried treasure, like as in gold, buried treasure in the ground you following me here like i think it sounds a bit sketchy i think it sounds a little sus right but uh, apparently prosecutors near seattle think that four people actually fell for that and went along with the whole i'll help you find buried treasure until they found themselves being buried so does seattle have a serial killer on its hands that story's next Uh, Okay, this is the stuff of legend. Gold buried in the ground and treasure just waiting to be found. (laughs) It's pretty tempting stuff, isn't it? Um, If we were living back in the day of fairy tales. But that's the kind of temptation that's still strong enough even today for at least four people who were allegedly lured to their deaths by the promise of gold treasure. This happened in Washington state. Police picked up a man named Richard Bradley. And they charged Mr. Bradley with murdering a woman whom he promised a cut of buried gold. And she believed it. Bradley has been in jail there for two and a half years now. And why do you say, why would we be talking about this now if it's already two and a half years? Well, prosecutors have now identified three other mysterious killings, all with a common theme, the promise of hidden treasure hidden gold. And wouldn't you know it, they just upgraded Richard Bradley from person of interest to suspect in all three of them. That's why I called Matt Murphy, because he spent nearly 20 years prosecuting homicides in Orange County, California, as a deputy district attorney. He knows all of these scams and how to catch them. So, what are the odds, Matt, that in this sort of, you know, area that surrounds Seattle, slightly rural, there would be more than one suspect who would have this kind of an M.O.? Come and help me unearth. Buried gold and you can get a share.
5: Yeah, that's zero. I mean, there's going to be zero work in that angle in the United States or probably the world. So, um, yeah, this is a this is an interesting case because this guy, of course, um, most serial killers, there's a sexual component. There's no allegations of that in this case. So he was literally just killing all these people to take their stuff.
0: Well, you're a former prosecutor. and You could say that when I'm a journalist, I have to say allegedly. So he's still got to be uh, proven in a court of law. But yeah, you're I mean that the allegations are that he would he would find people who were known to carry a lot of cash. He'd lure them to the woods with buried stolen gold that they could unearth and share that he would allegedly kill them, steal their cars, steal their money. But it seemed as though the police say he was found driving their cars and had their stuff. So I I almost think is do serial killers typically trip themselves up as like dumbest criminals.
5: Well, this guy tripped himself up because he's just dumb. Um, You know, he was he left people alive that saw him with the victims last. You know, he's the last person seen with them. And he's driving around with their cars. And then according to authorities and again, you're right, uh, he's presumed innocent, of course, until the evidence comes in but he's, he's accused of burying them on his own property. So uh, a lot of serial killers are actually geniuses. This guy appears to be no genius.
0: And again, it's weird that it's, it's a, a money thing. How often have you seen a, a person, again, he's alleged, but a person who kills in a serial way just for financial profit, how often are they, are they that guy?
5: Well, believe it or not, it's actually very rare. Most serial killers, like I said, there's a sexual component. I only had one case in 17 years. That was my schuyler DeLeon case, the Hawks murder, where he was serially murdering people for their money. So it's it's I mean, thankfully, it's a lot more rare than people might expect. Um, This is I think this is a fascinating case.
0: It is. I mean, who falls for gold? But I guess, you know, people do, unfortunately. Matt Murphy, thank you. Look forward to our next chat. Thank you so much. Coming up, a Florida man. First of all, anything that starts with a Florida man. I mean, really. (laughs) But this is a story you can't unsee. It involves the Waffle House, a tattoo parlor, and a guy who police say uh, was super-duper drunk. You can kind of tell there. I don't know. What do you suppose could possibly go wrong with that little triplet of information? Well, I forgot to tell you, somewhere in the middle of that, there's a crime. Allegedly. But we've got the sticky details next. So I like the Waffle House, like the next guy, Uh, but Max Alexander Kreiskant is not like the next guy. Um, He decided to get a tattoo, um, and he chose uh, to get this tattoo in St. Petersburg, Florida at a tattoo parlor, and that was his choice. Right there. That was the, t- that was what he decided to get. Uh, he did not want the color option because you have to pay an additional $100 for the color option. Um, <laughs> but this might be the end of the story, right? Because it's just, it's weird enough that it would make the news that somebody would get a tattoo like that of the Waffle House, right? But this is a crime show. And yes, there was a crime attached to this. Despite this Florida man ordering up a cheaper black and white version of the Waffle House tattoo, uh, cause he didn't want to pay for the color, he had only six bucks on him when the bill arrived.